Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. I'm so glad that you are up with me this morning. Um, I feel uh, compelled to wish a happy birthday to my best friend, Jessica. Good morning. I know you're listening. Appreciate that. Uh, I celebrate your life today. I I celebrate the blessing that you have been to me since we were 15 and uh, just love and appreciate you. Um, So birthdays matter. We celebrate them uh, with regularity. I'm also wondering if we could start celebrating rebirthdays. So uh, I had an experience when I was in Malawi, Africa, um, during a service of worship. They they celebrate all of the birthdays for the week, but they don't celebrate birthdays like the way we celebrate birthdays because many of the people don't actually know their physical birth date, the date of their physical birth. They do, however, know the date of their rebirth, the day that they were reborn to a living faith and a saving hope uh, through Jesus Christ. And so that's the day, the date that they celebrate. Every single year you celebrate your rebirth day. Um, and so I'm wondering if maybe as Christians that could be something that we could uh, adopt from our African brothers and sisters, the celebration of the rebirth day. Just put that out there, question. All right, let's be praying today for the people of uh, people of Michigan facing really astronomical flooding. Let's be uh, also praying today for the three million people who have now evacuated the coastline um, uh, in India and Bangladesh following the arrival of a super cyclone there. Um, we'll we'll talk about that in the coming days as well. Minnesota governor um, has announced that restaurants and bars, oh, some bars, restaurants, some bars, some bars, some restaurants can open uh, with 50 people, groups of 50 people. Churches, however, mm-mm. you need to only uh, only have 10. All right, so that doesn't seem fair. And so the Catholic bishops and many of the uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran congregations have notified the governor via separate letters that uh, they will be reopening and their services will resume on Pentecost Sunday, May the 31st. However, they're going to start uh, reopening uh, actually in... A week, I think, on the 27th. From the article, 26th. Thanks, Paul. From the article, uh, the the move by churches uh, comes after, quote, weeks of dialogue with the governor. They said uh, in a news release that they will resume congregations at 33% their capacity next Tuesday, Pentecost the following Sunday. Churches say they have committed to, quote, instituting rigorous social distancing and hygiene protocols to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Uh, A spokesman for the governor said uh, the governor, quote, remains in routine communication with faith leaders across the state and understands the toll this pandemic is taking on the spiritual health of Minnesotans. He said that Waltz and the Minnesota Department of Health will be meeting with church leaders this week. 
Uh, the Wall Street Journal um, is noting it this way. Uh, this put Governor Waltz uh, in an awkward position. Are cops going to cite and arrest people for going to church? It's a dilemma entirely of his own making, and uh, he can't say that he wasn't warned. In a letter from the Beckett Fund, the governor and the state now face the very public accusation that they are violating the First Amendment rights by applying a different standard to church reopenings than is being applied to non-religious institutions like, well, bars. All right, so from the letter from the Beckett Fund, uh, and we'll note this as we transition to a conversation with Ben Johnson, who is the rights writer. Let me just read this paragraph from the Beckett Fund. Um, So uh, now that you have determined, this again is to the governor, now that you have determined that current circumstances allow the partial reopening of almost every critical and non-critical Minnesotan business, With appropriate safeguards, there is no valid, non-discriminatory reason to continue the blanket closure of churches. To the contrary, basic equality and honest science, not to mention the special solicitude afforded to religious freedom under both the federal and Minnesotan constitutions, require the end of this discriminatory policy and restoration of desperately needed in-person worship. Continuing this conversation next with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. We'll be right back. My right, a right given by God to live a free life, to live in freedom. All right, Ben Johnson back in the house. Welcome back, sir. Good to be with you. I mean, you're back in your house, right? <laughs> <laughs> Literally inside yeah. the house, yes. Exactly. Uh, pretty, pretty much as always. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Okay. So, um, first of all, any comment on the situation in Minnesota before we pivot to a really interesting conversation about what's going on in South Carolina? Uh, three words come to mind. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Well, amen. So, uh, yeah. It, it's, it's good to see the church asserting itself, asserting its rights within the you know, prudential patterns uh, that would be dictated by observing everything that we need to observe in order to slow the spread and contagion that's going on here. Uh, we don't want to see one act recklessly, and that's not what's happening here. Churches are essential. Religion is every bit as essential, certainly is going to a bar, far more so. Uh, churches actually help public health. They do not harm it. And so it's, it's good to see these institutions asserting their First Amendment rights and reopening again with, with, uh, in a way that is entirely consistent with maintaining public health. I feel confident, uh, Ben, that you and I are going to get to uh, circle back around to this story um, next Thursday. Um, these churches are slated to reopen next Tuesday, so we'll sort of uh, play a bit of a wait-and-see game. Let's talk about Greenville, South Carolina, where um, uh, the story is a little more fully well-developed. Talk with us about the situation in South Carolina related to um, the the participation in any form, way, shape, or form of prayer during um, graduation exercises. Yeah, this is a strange, strange story out of uh, Greenville, South Carolina. In 2013, the Greenville County Schools Board of Trustees was sued by the American Humanist Association, uh, which is an atheistic association on behalf of a fifth grader, uh, because they had a graduation ceremony inside a chapel of a university. There's a Christian university nearby. 
the uh, chapel was the uh, lar- was a large venue in which uh, they could hold this. So they they held their their um, graduation ceremony there, and students were allowed to pray. That was too much for the American Humanist Association. Took them to court and won last year. So uh, the victory is being appealed. There is no way that uh, the particular uh, uh, ruling of this should be able to survive uh, constitutional scrutiny, provided that it gets high enough in court that uh, that will come to bear. But uh, the Greenville County School Board was ruled as part of this ruling. They had to uh, they, they were told they should make a statement that student led prayer should be led with a disclaimer that it does not represent the point of view of the school district, because allowing students to pray implies that the school board agrees with what they're saying. Now, this is ludicrous and unconstitutional on its face. We have literally decades of constitutional law here uh, and federal guidance as well, going back uh, to none other than Bill Clinton when he uh, was running for re-election in the 1990s, the first time around. He issued a a really fantastic uh, statement on religious liberty, which states, among other things, Students have the right to student-led Bible studies on campus. Students have the right to pray on campus. And this is something that we experienced at my own graduation because we were threatened with a federal lawsuit as well. Uh, Students are allowed to pray during graduation. Uh, The school itself is not allowed, and school officials are not allowed to lead students in prayer. That is considered uh, a violation of the Establishment Clause under uh, various rulings going back to the 1960s, but students speaking on themselves for themselves, students don't check their rights of freedom of speech, and I don't have to leave their faith and their soul at the schoolhouse door. You're allowed to express yourself and your full opinion, including your belief in Jesus Christ or Jehovah or Allah or any God of your choice, anytime you have the right to freedom of speech, period. All right. Um, I think that this is going to this case will continue to develop uh, as a national conversation as well. We are likely to see more about this as it rises through the court system. Um, when we come back, uh, Ben, can I ask you a question about the red pill um, and what it means to take the red pill and why we would be talking about such a thing? Uh, I'm delighted to speak about this bit of uh, ephemera. Yes. OK, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, that is the uh, theme song from The Matrix because Paul Perot is so good at what he does. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, I am I am talking with Ben Johnson. Um, so this this piece of as you describe ephemeral, um, but it's headline news and people are talking about it. And so I need some help. Elon Musk, you're going to remind us who he is. Uh, encouraged everybody to take the red pill in a tweet, and now uh, the 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 word the world is all a Twitter about it. In, indeed, and Twitter is the word. And by the way, I mean no uh, offense, whatever, toward this talk show. As you say, everyone is talking about it. Uh, to <laughs> me, it's astonishing the things that people will focus on. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, is, of course, is a billionaire tech giant. Uh, among other things, is is uh, interested in visiting space with a man-made program to visit Mars, if possible. Uh, he operates the Tesla factory out in California. So uh, someone who is uh, very much part of the tech world and until uh, this week uh, has usually been, con- been considered 
one of the giants of Silicon Valley and someone who's on page with uh, uh, the cultural elites in general. So uh, not someone who's, who's been out of favor with them, uh, despite his incredible uh, career in uh, creating things, creativity. So Elon Musk uh, last week announced that he wanted to open up his Tesla factory. California Governor Gavin Newsom has a really tight lid on the state. And so uh, at various times there were threats that Musk himself might be arrested and frog marched off because of his desire to reopen his factory, even though he said he was going to do everything uh, with protections to make sure that the, the workers had appropriate distance and everything was following public health rules. Then he tweeted out this mysterious tweet. He said, take the red pill. And that was all it said. Take the red pill. You remember, that's from the, the movie The Matrix, uh, the Warshawski Brothers movie back from 1999 with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. The first one was very good. The second one was okay. And then after that, the, the series kind of became drek. But uh, a, a, an interesting film in that scene, uh, there's a young man named Neo uh, who is given a choice of one of two pills, a red pill or a blue pill. The red pill opens your eyes and you see reality. And that's when he finds out that he's been living inside a matrix this entire time. Uh, and the whole thing is a computer generation. It's not reality. Uh, and he's, in, in fact, a prisoner. And so he's, he's leading you know, a, a revolt at the end of the movie. Uh, and this red pill gives him almost superhuman powers when it's all said and done. Unfortunately, this is a term that's used by members of the alt-right and other conspiracy theories as well that, uh, to, to understand that we're living in a uh, virtual reality and that maybe Alex Jones has it right or uh, various anti-Semitic groups have it right or name the hate group of your choice here, uh, whoever they believe is in charge, whether it's the Catholics or the Masons or you know, despite the fact that those two groups hate each other or all of the above – uh, you know, those those organizations, whoever it is you want to believe controls the world. The red pill opens your eyes to that reality. So the fact that he happened to use this pill uh, as a metaphor, uh, presumably for his own reality uh, in, in what's going on with the state of California, has led people to say that he's now part of the alt-right. And uh, uh, his, his, uh, treat, his tweet was retweeted by the Trump family, uh, Ivanka Trump. Uh, retweeted by saying taken. And so they're off to the races. Basically, any time that anyone from the Southern Poverty Law Center or any of those sorts of professional heresy hunters can find someone with a six degrees of separation of heresy or, or six degrees of actual hatred, that person will be tarred with uh, this phrase. There's no reason to think that Elon Musk is David Duke. All right. Thank you, sir, for that clarification. Um, I know I do. I appreciate it. Right. I do think it's important that we understand what our neighbors are talking about and um, and be able to clarify our own thinking about such things. You know, I just always want to remind our listeners that what we're most interested in is cultivating a Christian worldview, um, which means that, you know, maybe less concern about the matrix um, and the alt-right and more concern about the righteousness of God and what it means to be kingdom citizens. Um, and so let's spend some time today in the Word of God as we seek to uh, bring the gospel to bear on the world that God so loves. Um, ben, a couple of weeks ago, you and I discussed um, events in Kansas City where it was our understanding at the time that churches were, uh, if they were going to reopen, they were going to be required to keep lists of those 
who attended services and they were being then uh, would be compelled to turn those lists of people and their contact information over to authorities, at least in some circumstances. Um, We have some clarification on this story now. And so I wanted you to bring that to our listeners today. Well, uh, you know, the good news is when you get it right the first time, then everything, uh, everything follows from that. We discussed uh, an order from uh, Matt's, uh, a, uh, uh, an email from Matt Staver at Liberty Council uh, regarding Kansas City, Missouri, and the fact that anyone who attended a religious gathering was supposed to uh, have their name and contact information taken down. Uh, and then if the uh, city required, then uh, the, the church or religious organization would have to turn that list over. And uh, we said at the time, this seems invasive. This seems uh, uh, out of uh, keeping with um, you know, people's right to uh, to worship the God of their choice under the First Amendment. And particularly those of us who are Christians, the duty to do so and to gather every, uh, every Christian Sabbath on Sunday morning. The original order did, in fact, say that. Uh, and there's a fact check out from USA Today, which perfectly lines up with everything we said on the air. Uh, everything that we said was, in fact, factual. Uh, so the uh, the original order included religious organizations. They said that the church had to take the names of people, and they had to keep them, and if asked, they had to turn them over. And then, as we said, the state, uh, or I should say the city, then reversed itself and removed religious gatherings. Uh, so it said attendees are not required to provide names or contact information at any religious gathering, according to the amended order. So, uh, And that, again, came after pressure from uh, Christians who had sued that. So uh, the claim was rated partly false, but uh, Faith Radio uh, was 100% correct. And that, I think, shows you uh, something that we talked about on the air there, which is Faith Radio Network and uh, Mornings with Carmen and and the other programs here are not party-line thought thought control groups. We don't follow along with one particular party or another, and we don't even simply take uh, Christian leaders at their word. We penetrate a little bit deeper to give you the facts and make sure we get it right the first time. And I'm happy to say that uh, having read this fact check, we followed 100 percent. So that's that's good news. When you listen to Faith Radio Network, when you listen to Carmen, you can be sure you're getting the facts and you're getting them right to the greatest ability that we have the first time. Thank you, my brother. Um, If you guys are looking for the very specific language, you would be looking for item number G in section number one of uh Mayor Lucas's amended order. So Quentin Lucas, the mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, has issued order 20-01 and the sixth amendment to that order in section one, item G, would be uh, the number that we're talking about, uh, the specific portion that we're talking about uh, there in that particular conversation. Ben, um, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for um, all that you do each and every day. Love your people up good today. Um, Stay home. Stay safe. Thank you so much. God bless you and yours. Likewise. We'll be right back. All right. Is science the most certain thing there is? Pharmaceutical giant Pfizer launched an ad campaign a few weeks ago declaring science will win. Here's the full script. At a time when things are most uncertain, we turn to the most certain thing there is, science. Science can overcome diseases, create cures, and yes, beat pandemics. Because when it's faced with a new opponent, it doesn't back down. It revs up, asking questions till it finds what it's looking for. That's the power of science. 
So now, if that sounds to you like worshiping at the altar of scientism, the idea that science alone has the answers, um, well, you'd be right. Pfizer is making a very straightforward claim that science is, quote, the most certain thing there is, uh, and that it's the dominant way of knowing anything with any certainty. So while science has its appropriate place, the Christian is going to have to step up here and say uh, to those advancing such claims, um, no. So to help us think through how we're going to do that, I'm going to be joined next by MIT professor Ian Hutchinson on the topic of scientism and how we as Christians can engage the challenge of positively affirming science in right relationship to the reality of God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I've heard it many times, a frazzled mom in a public place with a toddler, yelling warnings left and right. You can hear her two aisles down in the grocery store shouting, if you don't get over here, I'm leaving without you. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm pretty sure that mom wouldn't leave her three-year-old in aisle six of the supermarket, but we've all done what she did. We bark out warnings without any intention of following through. I've met a lot of parents who put off consequences in favor of idle threats, but I've also found that it breeds chaos in their home. If that's something you want to steer clear of, be sure to decide rules and consequences before the frustrating public scene happens. Then stick to your guns. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at parentingtodaysteens.org. attention now to what scientists are saying, uh, particularly those in epidemiology and immunology and pharmaceuticals, and we're paying attention in ways that maybe we were not paying attention just a few months ago. Uh, There are those, uh, however, who we would call scientists who've been paying attention to such things all along, and we want to talk with a scientist about not only science and our right relationship to it as Christians, but also the rise of scientism and where we see evidence of it in the culture today. Joining me now, Ian Hutchinson. He's a professor of nuclear science and engineering at MIT. He's the author of a number of books. Uh, One of them, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? An MIT professor answers questions on God and science. Dr. Hutchinson, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Um, It's a great pleasure to be with you. So I'm tempted to ask you where uh, where in the universe there are temperatures higher than the center of the sun, but we will get there at the end of our conversation. Uh, right. Here here at the beginning, um, let's start with a conversation that distinguishes science from scientism. Yeah, um, probably we should say what what is meant by scientism. Scientism basically is the belief that science is all the real knowledge there is. It's a very widespread. Uh, belief, very often not articulated, very often taken for granted. It's what we f- uh, it's what we derive from the tr- tremendous success of science. And I'm a scientist, and I, I value science very highly. I've done I've done science throughout my entire career, 
and I think it's very important and we should listen to it. But I don't think that science is all the real knowledge there is. I think there's lots of other important knowledge that we need to depend on, and that should be recognized. Okay, so if you and I were going to um, talk with a person who is operating out of a worldview that says science is all the real knowledge there that there is, that is going to be a person who limits the scope of uh, of what is knowable to uh, to that which can be experienced or observed um, versus a person who would acknowledge um, the reality that there are things beyond that which we can uh, see, hear, taste, touch, smell. Am I, am I right? So there's naturalism yeah, that, and supernaturalism, that, maybe. Right. Okay. That's basically right. Natural science is trying to find out about the world insofar as it is reproducible and can be described with a kind of clarity that you get from measurements and mathematics and, and systematic um, organization of one's information. And, and that's a very important way of finding out about the world. And the world that we live in, the, the, the gift of, of God to us is a, a world that's orderly and comprehensible and reliable. And that's part of um, what we expect. But there are many things um, that don't lend themselves to description in, the, in that sort of way. If you ask, the, ask questions like, how did Julius Caesar die? or what makes Johann Sebastian Bach's music so brilliant, or is capital punishment just, or how can we avoid World War III, or what's the right thing to do about COVID-19? Those are questions that science can't really answer. Because they require what you and I might describe as wisdom. They, they require a... a an understanding, a, a depth of, of complexity that escapes the reproducible aspects of the world that science um, is, is addressing. I mean, there are those who think eventually we will have a scientific answer to those questions, but they're mistaken. Um, and, and the reason is basically because many things in our lives are not reproducible. For example, history is not reproducible. Um, many things in our lives don't possess the kind of clarity that enables one to measure them, like the beauty of a sunset or the love of a mother. And those kinds of things are not things which can be described in the way that the natural sciences work. All right, I am talking with uh, Dr. Ian Hutchinson, um, and we are talking about the conversation that's going on in the culture today, often below the surface of the actual conversation. And so what we're trying to do is uh, help us see some things that um, are assumed by many of those who are reporting today on the on the headline news of the day and many of those making news today. And so we're trying to understand the relationship of science um, to our lives, as well as the really the the worship of science, which would, we would describe as scientism, which elevates science um, to that of of the all-knowing position. The all that is knowable could be known through science. That would be um, uh, sort of a short-form way of describing scientism. So, Professor Hutchinson, how do you, as a scientist, respond when people would say that um, Christians are anti-science? Well, I do think that there are 
Christians who are nervous about science and what it tells us. Um, I think there are sometimes good reasons for that. Um, and I think that when scientism is put forward as being a discovery of science, which of course it isn't, it can't possibly be, um, then, then th that nervousness is well justified. But broadly speaking, Christians ought not to be afraid of science. And in fact, science as a whole, as, as it's grown up in the modern world, has um, a great deal um, that it owes to Christians and to Christianity. I mean, the very birth of science in the 16th and 17th century was largely enabled by the Christian worldview that existed in those days. And throughout the succeeding centuries, Christians have been extremely important players in science um, throughout the centuries and even up until today. And so Christians should not be afraid of science, um, but they should maintain and, and continue to recognize that there are very important things in the world that in the end science can't uh, investigate or discover or describe. And, uh, and so they should resist the scientism that is very often imposed upon um, our society by those who, who emphasize science's importance. I don't want to minimize how important science is. I think it's tremendously important knowledge and knowing about the world that we live in is of course something we should aim to do very clearly and we should aim to do it thoughtfully and, and um, what science discovers is very powerful. I mean, if, if you want to connect a smartphone to a cell tower by radio waves, you better design it in accordance with Maxwell's equations, which are the, are the equations that govern electromagnetism, otherwise it won't work. So science does have very important authority about some things um, um, that we should listen to, but it can't tell you how to live your life or answer moral dilemmas. Which I think is why, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but I continue to be surprised when words like hope um, uh, are claimed by the scientific community or the, the, the community that would describe itself as, um, as advancing science and seeking answers in science. Um, and so I think that particularly like recently pharmaceutical companies describing, you know, the the ultimate hope that they intend to deliver um, when they discover an effective vaccine for the coronavirus. I mean, they they are asking us to put our hope um, in in something that is at this point still unknown, a vaccine related to a particular virus. Um, when we come back, can we just talk about language a little bit and some of the words that you see emerging and maybe the maybe the seeds of scientism and when they were planted, because that's what's bearing fruit right now. And so I think that sometimes we see the fruit and it helps us to understand what the seeds of that are in our cultural conversations. Could we do that? Sure, absolutely. All right, that's the soil that we're going to till next with Dr. Ian Hutchinson. We'll be right back. I am Continuing my conversation with Dr. Ian Hutchinson, professor of nuclear sciences and engineering at MIT. He's a plasma physicist. Physicist. Mm -hmm. He studies matter at temperatures higher than the center of the sun with the objective of discovering how to make fusion, 
the energy source of stars available for human use on Earth. Now that is um, right out there on the edge, um, uh, on the edge of creative thought and reason and scientific discovery. And what we're talking about today, um, you could put in the category of epistemology. How do we know what we know? Uh, and what sources are we relying upon for that knowledge? And then how are we, as image bearers of the living God, uh, not only creative, but reasonable? And so so what what do those conversations look like in the culture today where many people put their hope in science itself? So, Dr. Hutchinson, um, let's pick up where we left off. Sure. We see the seeds of scientism uh, bearing fruit today. And I guess I'm wondering um, what those seeds are and then what fruit you're seeing. Well, let me say, first of all, thank you um, for referring to my research. Uh, it, that's an example of a way in which scientists are trying to uh, bring to bear their knowledge and make uh, available because of it valuable things to humankind. Energy is an important challenge area, and that's the area, one of the areas that I've worked in. Um, and I think in the present uh, situation with COVID-19 and so forth, there are many people who are working on medical and other uh, technologies that will help to alleviate the challenge that we face in this uh, new disease. But I think it's important to recognize whether you're talking about energy or whether you're talking about disease and medicine, that actually what little we can do is not going to be some kind of magic bullet that solves all of the problems of humankind. And this is where scientism breaks down and is, um, is misleading. The truth is that most of the challenges that face us as humans in this life are not things that can be solved by science. Science can help us in many ways, but um, most of the big challenges of our society and of our world are things that are, are challenges that are human challenges. The problems that we face in our lives are very often caused not so much by the natural world as by human sin. And um, most of the challenges that our societies face are those challenges that arise from the failings of humans as much as they are from our ignorance of the natural world. And so that's the um, balance that I think needs to be struck. Science is valuable knowledge. Um, technology can help us in many ways. But there are challenges that those um, approaches can't uh, address. And that's where um, the spiritual and the human uh, come into play. All right. There are definitely people listening right now who are wondering if the uh, if the energy source in the Black Panther movie um, of the Wakanda is uh, is evidence <laughs> of your uh, uh, is evidence of your energy source from the stars made available uh, to humans on Earth theory. Well, well, there there are there are many cinematographic representations of fusion. The most famous one was actually Doctor Octopus. Uh, in, in one of the Spider-Man movies. But yeah, we do some pretty interesting and awesome things. Uh, we haven't solved the problem yet, uh, but we're trying to address it. And we're hopeful that in the, in the long term, we'll be able to do a little bit more um, to help us in terms of energy. Okay, so, well, no, I would ahead. be remiss if I didn't, if I didn't ask, like, where in the universe are there temperatures higher than the center of the sun? 
Um, well, in hotter stars, um, actually mm. in our lab, um, for, for many years we had a big uh, experiment at MIT, which uh, I was the head of, which, where we made uh, uh, these plasmas hotter than the center of the sun. They're mm. not as dense as the center of, of the sun, fortunately. Um, and in all kinds of explosions, um, violent um, astrophysical phenomena, there are temperatures higher than the center of the sun. We also make in small scale these things in the laboratory. Okay, so where would you like to take this conversation in the three or four minutes we have left? Well, I was, th I was thinking we would talk about how do we uh, understand what the future is going to hold within this COVID-19 situation. I think one thing to recognize is that if Despite all of the very valuable efforts of medical researchers and of, of doctors and nurses and so forth that should be recognized in this situation, in the end, we're going to come out of this difficulty largely because of the gifts of God, the, the awesome um, functioning of our own bodies, uh, our immune system, and uh, the ways in which we can develop immunity um, to viruses and other uh, diseases that is built in. And that is actually really where the, the hope lies in these, these types of situations. Science can do its bit, and, and we're thankful for it. But it, the hope is that God has gifted us humans uh, with those kinds of abilities that are built into us. Many people... Um, are, are fearful um, and uh, are, are naturally fearful in this type of situation. But our hope lies in the gifts that God has given us, I think. And these are natural and they are also spiritual. And so that I think that the comfort that we uh, as Christians derive from knowing that God is sovereign and that he is loving and has uh, placed us in um, a wonderful creation which science has learned a lot about, these are all the things which comfort me in this kind of situation. And because I know that God is in charge, uh, both of this world and of my life, I think that's an important way to that we discover um, comfort and uh, hope for the future. So I think hope, which we, you were mentioning earlier, is in it for those of us who are followers of Christ is found and centered in him. Um, and we're thankful for those gifts. And we're thankful for all the people around us that help us. And that spirit of thankfulness is what I um, want to bring to bear on my life um, in this type of situation. Dr. Ian Hutchinson, um, thank you so much for what you do every day, the spirit in which you do it, your willingness to share um, with us, it it encourages us. It actually gives us um, courage to know that there are people so much smarter than we are about so many things um, who, with whom we stand in the kingdom of heaven as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so thank you so much for bringing your wisdom to bear on the conversations of the day um, and for your ongoing research. I uh, we, we pray for you that you would discover how to make fusion available for human use on earth. Wouldn't that be uh, an exciting, exciting day? So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We look forward to another conversation with you in the future. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure to be with you. Likewise. Blessings. We'll be right back.
All right, that was a feast, huh? All right, aren't you excited that there's guys like that? Uh, and aren't you excited that you are a brother or sister in Christ to Ian Hutchinson? I am. I am glorifying God right now, thanking God um, for him and for the research that God has called him to do and all of the equipping that God has given him for his particular calling in life. Uh, you know, God has prepared and equipped each and every one of us for the good works that he has also prepared in advance for us to do, which means that you and I have a part to play in the body of Christ. Ian Hutchinson has his part. I have my part. You have your part. And as each of us does our part, as the Apostle Paul says, uh, the body is built up and is able to then do in the world what it is designed uh, and sent forth by God to do. And so let's each and every one of us do our part today faithfully. And your part today may be um, prayer. Maybe you are a person who is um, confined in more than just the COVID-19 description of being confined today in your home. Maybe you are a person who is confined in other ways. And let me just encourage you to be a person whose part of the body is to pray um, and to intercede and to reach out as you are able via the phone and technology to others. Um, and it's a great, uh, it is of great importance that each of us does the specific thing that God has called and equipped us to do in the body that indeed the work of the gospel might be advanced always and in all ways. So uh, thanks in advance for listening to this hour. We've got another one up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.